Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to travel the world. And on today's episode, I have a very special guest who's been to almost every single country in the world. He only has four left to go. Uh, so he's currently at 189 countries and counting. Uh, once he hits his four, he'll be part of the you know unique few. There's only about 100, uh, 100 plus uh, people who've been to every single country. And as my friend Rick uh, says on his Counting uh, Countries podcast, there are more people who've been to outer space than have visited every country. And uh, Stefan uh, has an incredible travel story. He also has a great travel blog called Rapid Travel Chai. Uh, he's expert in the area of uh, frequent flyer. Uh, he speaks and uh, consults on the topic. And obviously, he blogs on it too. Uh, so uh, Stefan, to start off with, why don't we uh, get to know you a little bit better, if you could share a little bit about yourself for the sake of the listeners and viewers watching and listening today. Hello, yes, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota and uh, got really my start in travel studying Chinese in high school. I was one of the few schools that, that early in the U.S. that had Chinese and that's what got my interest a junior year uh, class trip to China and it, it opened my world to, to travel from workaholic parents. We had been Disneyland once when I was four and, and had another vacation other than relatives in New York. So that opened up the world to me and, and got me rolling from there. So uh, tell us about uh, this journey to 193. I mean, it's very impressive that you've been to that many countries. So walk us through the logistics of that. Was it just a, a continent by continent or uh, did you just happen to travel and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm already at 100, Let might as well go for them all. So walk us through this journey to see them all. It has been systematic. Uh, when I finished university, I moved to China and lived there from 2002 to 2010. and. Uh, when I had internships and very little money, I started traveling on overnight trains and buses to every province of China. And, and that was fun. And I had the map on the wall, marking stickers everywhere I'd been. And then when I got a paying job, I thought, oh, well, Southeast Asia is within reach. And, and uh, got a bit of a raise and then Central Asia. And so I started expanding out from that Asia base uh, until very quickly I was only down to East Timor left in Asia. And then I said, well, I've got to finish that. And then... Uh, my wife and I, she did a degree in New York, so we moved to New York in 2010. And from there, I had a job with a significant amount of international travel that I could then add on my own leisure time and travels, where I started thinking much more seriously about, about the rest of the world. Uh, so you mentioned uh, Asia. You're based in China, and you cover a lot of Asia. And then um, that's maybe about 30, 40 countries, I'm estimating. Uh, you know, tell us about the rest of the world. I mean, there's uh, obviously Africa is a big one. Uh, South America is a big one. Um, Europe. Tell us more about how you covered the rest of uh, the countries after you did your Asia one. Uh, each has been, uh, depending on the circumstances and, and what my work situation has been, for a few years I had to commute from New York to Atlanta. And with Delta Airlines, they had many flights to uh, Central and South America. So I would take a, a long weekend or a four-day trip, take a Friday night, late night flight, get in on Saturday and stay a few days and take a midnight flight back. So I've always tried to fit where I am with the circumstances. When I was based in New York the past few years, it was much easier to get to Europe. A lot of the flight times would be on a Friday evening where I wouldn't have to take off work. and every single day that, that I could save or spend on an overnight flight uh, instead of daytime travel was, was another day for travel. So each time I, I picked off a few and then uh, the past year I left corporate life to focus on my own businesses which allowed some of the more extensive Africa and Pacific trips where I needed to have 
flexibility of time and, and communication that, that I might not be able to stick to an exactly uh, tight schedule to, to get back to the office. So uh, pretty impressive the fact that you covered so many uh, countries, especially when you are working in a corporate job. It's hard enough to cover them all uh, when you're not working or as a digital nomad or as a traveler. Uh, but the fact that you're working is definitely uh, impressive. So kudos to you there. Uh, Stefan, tell us about some of the highlights uh, you know, in terms of the cities, the countries, the destinations. What are some of your favorite uh, places that you've been to so far? The biggest highlights, I think, are when you, if you've learned a foreign language and you make that effort in life, which is is not easy. And as, a, as an American, we have so many excuses to not do it. But that I spent so many years studying Chinese to be able to get on one of those overnight trains and end up speaking the the whole night with people about their lives and with with all the secondhand smoke blown into my face the the entire <laughs> the entire night and and come off exhausted like an ashtray. But but having that level of of interaction is something that when I look back on the travels is, is, is the most special to me because in other places, even when people speak English or I don't speak their language, uh, the, the, the depth of, of interaction is, is somewhat less and, and maybe I'll focus on uh, um, natural sites and historic sites. Uh, a lot of what I, I love, I'm a big ancient history buff, so the, the various Roman ruins of North Africa are some of my greatest highlights. Uh, some of the uh, in South America, I, I feel like I've, I've seen so many cathedrals and old town squares that at this point, anytime I'm in Latin America, all I go for are natural parks and, and scenery. And I, I haven't been to Patagonia. I'm looking at, at say, Patagonia or the Atacama Desert in Chile uh, for, for more of scenery. It's something like going to Angel Falls when Venezuela was a little more accessible a few years ago was, was a spectacular multi-day trip to, to go see those waterfalls. I, uh, I can kind of resonate because I'm actually in Bogota, Colombia uh, while we're doing this interview and we've been in South America for the last few months and uh, if you see one church, you've kind of seen them all and even though they, they, uh, they uh, you know, rave about how majestic it is and how grand it is and how unique it is, but at the end of the day, it's very similar. Same with beaches, you know, if you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all. Uh, I don't want to be too too uh, judgmental of churches or beaches, but uh, you kind of uh, get spoiled as a traveler. It's kind of sad to say that because uh, some people have never seen a beautiful beach or a beautiful church. So uh, I kind of feel privileged and guilty for saying that, but I can relate to you. Oh well, yeah, I mean, in, in Latin America, because it's it's always the same three old guys with the little hats on the on the bench in front of the church, and and they're great to chat with. Uh, and to what degree you can speak Spanish, but it does. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's themes and. And when I hear a place described now as a as a faded colonial town or something, I always just say I'm I've 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 seen enough. But then a few months ago, I, I was in France and went down to Chartres uh, from Paris for the day. And and uh, you know, as many cathedrals I've seen, nothing has prepared me for as spectacular as that is. And, so tell us also about the flip side. I mean, you've had all these amazing adventures, but uh, tell us about also some of the struggles and challenges, uh, kind of mentally, emotionally, but also practically and logistically. Uh, what are some of the challenges you face so far while on the road? Travel's absolutely exhausting. And, and just last night, getting back from San Diego, I had, I had one delayed flight, then another delayed and, and rebooking, and, and I'm back home for midnight, even even from a quick, quick weekend trip. So. So there is the the tiredness, and and there's times on on Monday in the office that I've just wanted to 
pull my chair back from my desk and lay down on the floor and take a nap. And and that's a reality of, of travel. You you have to find a way to to cope with with being tired and realizing that just like people that that want to club all night Friday or Saturday that there's a price to pay in, in the physical exhaustion and, and needing to keep in shape and, and needing to keep your health up if you're traveling a tremendous amount. And, and um, you know, a benefit of, of working in a corporate job while you're traveling is to have a steady income stream. Um, the, the flip side is when you're very constrained on schedules, you need to fly out Friday night, you can't take that cheap Wednesday flight, that the travel becomes uh, much more expensive in some ways. And it's it's not possible to just say, I'm going to go around South America for two months. It's, it's going to say, I have five days to go to Bogota and visit Colombia, but I, I have to fly back to New York to get back to work. So that's where I started learning a lot more about the frequent flyer programs, uh, particularly for people based in the U.S. Uh, a lot of the credit cards and the frequent flyer programs are much more generous than than anywhere else in the world. And that's gotten me to some incredibly uh, expensive places otherwise. For instance, getting around Africa, uh, Ethiopian Airlines covers more countries in Africa than any airline, and, and they're very reliable. Africa is a giant, giant place, and connecting through Addis, so it seems to me, be like a five to seven hour flight from everywhere. Uh, but one of the advantages is pretty much any flight they have will have frequent flyer seats available. So if you have miles with United, with Singapore, with any of the Star Alliance airlines, you can get around Africa much more cheaply than than any of the traditional means, and, and especially in a continent with such large distances and such challenges of land borders, of visas that may be on arrival at an airport but not a land border, um, that those tools with the miles have helped me get uh, to a lot of the countries that otherwise I just couldn't have afforded time-wise or cost-wise. So you mentioned uh, travel hacking and frequent mm -hmm. flyer programs. Uh, we've actually interviewed about five five or six guests on that specific topic, but I'd love to get your insights into um, uh, some of the best programs and uh, some of the best usages of travel hacking. So any of your top tips that you want to share with the audience today, Stefan? What I tell people that are starting out is to know a program or two really, really well is better than than kind of dabbling in, in eight or ten programs. And if, if you're focused on especially international travel or, or in the case of visiting every country, the hotels are not the biggest programs to focus on. Uh, if you don't have people paying your bills for hotel stays, hotel points aren't all that easy to earn at, at a good rate. And, and there's so many options, there's so many places to be able to sleep in the world that if you don't mind staying at a regular guest house, just using something like Hotels.com with their 10% uh, rebate program or Booking.com for small guest houses can get you tremendous deals without having to put a lot of hassle or work. Uh, the airlines is where there's there's a huge amount of potential, and and um, you know I'd like to focus on airline programs or airline alliances where there's not a lot of easily um, replicable uh, options with another uh, airline or alliance. So, for instance, if you're trying to get from U.S. to Japan, just about every major airline uh, has something between the countries. Uh, the frequent flyer programs all have that. Uh, where it starts getting differentiated are areas like the Pacific, like um, uh, like in Africa, where, where there's a few that really stand out. I mentioned that's anything with Star Alliance because of uh, Ethiopian has tremendous award availability and they have flights, a lot of flights out of Lome, Togo now, in addition to Addis, uh, even Newark, they fly out of 
Washington, Los Angeles, uh, different flights. Um, there's tremendous availability and, and options throughout the world on Star Alliance. So focusing on one of those programs, if you have a lot of the credit cards, Singapore is a great program to learn about. Uh, if you have more paid travel now, United is a good one. Uh, there's a few programs also that, that are what we call distance-based rather than uh, standard award charts. So a standard award chart will just say anywhere within North America is this price or anywhere within Central America is this price. Uh, the distance-based ones go by your actual distance flown. So the British Airways Executive Club is an example of that where very long flights are exorbitantly expensive, but very short ones, say domestic flights in Australia, Brisbane to Sydney and that can be very cheap. So if you have, um, say, American Express membership rewards points that go to British, that can transfer to British Airways, some of these very short flights uh, can be can be very cheap with the British Airways program, and and their partners include uh, Com Air, which is in South Africa and gets you up to Victoria Falls and other places in the region. Uh, Qantas around Australia. Uh, when I finally got to Lord Howe Island in Australia, it's because I waited over a year and a half for uh, an award seat to be available because I didn't want to pay a thousand dollars for a one-hour flight. Um, uh, they have S7 in, in Russia, which if you're traveling around Russia, you can save a lot of money. Um, and, then, and then lastly, um, a SkyTeam airline like Delta, like uh, Air France, uh, KLM Flying Blue, they are the, really the only airline for a number of the Indian Ocean countries uh, as, as um, you know, getting to Madagascar and seeing the lemurs. It's only SkyTeam airlines and independent airlines that go there. So I've used a lot of SkyTeam as well. And, and so my personal three programs being US-based that I use the most are uh, United, Delta, and British Airways. And, and the last one I'd add is Alaska Airways because they have a, a wide variety of, of partners such as Cathay Pacific, Japan Airlines, uh, Emirates that, that uh, you can use and get their points in a lot of different ways. Unfortunately, they just ended their partnership with Delta. Their partnership with American is, is uh, mostly ending at the end of this year. So that'll be a little bit less versatile of a program than it had been before. Thanks for summarizing it so well, and uh, you know, great uh, tips there about travel hacking. Stefan, you're only at uh, four left to go. You're already at 189 countries, which is very impressive. Tell us about the four that are left, uh, and uh, also about the difficulties in getting there, and when do you intend to achieve the goal of completing the 193? Well, I had hoped to finish it this year, and, and geopolitical events have made it difficult to visit Syria and Yemen, and, and there are ways in, and it depends to a degree on your time, risk tolerance, and citizenship. Uh, Syria in particular, uh, there's a lot greater difficulty for U.S. citizens to get visas right now uh, than other citizens, as, as well as the, the safety concerns. So, so those two, I'm not... I'm not trying to make an arbitrary goal to finish by a certain time. So I'm going to wait till there's an opportunity that that I can see these countries in, in a way that that I feel is a reasonable uh, safety situation. And I realize my calculation, uh, having been to places like Mogadishu and, and North Korea twice, that that uh, may be different than most people's, but to a level that I feel like I can properly visit and not put myself or put the people I'm dealing with uh, in danger is is what I'm focused at for those. Uh, the other two, uh, Seychelles, it's just never been on the way to anywhere else for me. So I've, I've, I haven't visited and uh, I'm a member of a group called the Traveler Century Club that's a broader mm -hmm. list of 325 territories around the world. And 
they divide Seychelles into the core Seychelles territory uh, and a, a group of islands roughly called the Outer Seychelles. And, and those are expensive and, and a bit limited in options to get to. Uh, one of the two main commercial options has been closed, an island hotel that's been closed for renovation for over a year. And I'm hoping uh, next year to, uh, to maybe get a chance. Uh, the prior owners would occasionally allow day trips if they had a seat on their flight. And, and I might do that. And, and then the last one I've actually visited a number of times is Turkey, but I've I've only had transits. I've only stayed at airport hotels. And I, for a country that that magnificent, uh, until I see Hagia Sophia, until I see Gallipoli, and until I see so many of the fantastic sites, I won't count that as a visit. And I, I do want something very special to me to be the last one. I, I had planned either Greece or Italy, but I got tired of waiting, and I went to those a few months ago. Uh, so Turkey is is uh, although technically I have visited would would be the last or or potentially Seychelles. Uh, you know, a lot of people that that have chased this goal have had parties at the end. I had never thought about it that way, but uh, now that I have a lot of friends in this world, maybe something like Seychelles would would, would be fun to to do a very relaxing uh, one for the, for the last. So pretty exciting, uh, you know. I wish you well in the goal, and I hope things get better—not just for you, obviously, but for the people living in, uh, you know, the place like you. Well, and that's the thing is, is uh, all this, uh, you know, the, it, it can be very selfish to say I hope Syria opens up. I hope Syria opens up, but that—that's all in the context of if if somebody like me can go into the country, that means things are improving for the people there, and that's that's the great hope. And, and when you see the amount of challenges people have all around the world, and including my home country, the US, to, to be able to travel like this and have a travel lifestyle is, uh, you know, I'm certainly among the most fortunate people in the world to, to be able to do that. And, and wherever I go, I do hope that uh, whatever degree I'm able to participate in the local economy. And I do always try to book local guest houses and and eat at very local places, you know, what, whatever money and interaction I can have, that it does have some positive impact for the people there. Yeah, and you know, I face a similar, a similar dilemma because I'm actually in Colombia right now, and mm -hmm. uh, as I think most people know, uh, Colombia and Venezuela are neighbor countries, and I really, really want to do Venezuela because we're pretty much going to every South American country on this trip. Uh, but uh, you know, the situation is so terrible, and we're traveling with my wife and kids, so obviously we don't want to put our kids in danger. And uh, you know, the selfish part of me thinks like, oh, I wish they would just get this war over with. But but imagine all the people who are struggling with food and water issues and medicine and uh, just struggling living. So uh, it definitely puts things into context when you look at the bigger issue of especially how the locals struggle. And I think uh, what you're saying is so accurate. Uh, we as travelers have a great opportunity to impact that local community in a very positive, beneficial way, especially if you're doing uh, local guest house stays as opposed to the big chain hotel stays. Yeah, and if, if you ask my favorite of, of Latin America, Venezuela is the one that instantly pops up. And, and uh, I would love to go back and travel much more. As I said, I went to Angel Falls, saw some of the Roy Rama region. I, I haven't been in the West in the in the uh, the cowboy country. I mean, Caracas is just fantastically beautiful city in both the modern and the classic uh, architecture. And I do hope very much. I mean, when I was there, it was the... Uh, Remember, it was the day of the, the um, I think it was what, Spain-Netherlands World Cup final. And just getting in Caracas Airport, there were, every TV was tuned to the final. Uh, there was a big archbishop from the Catholic Church arriving that day. So there were thousands of people outside singing hymns. 
Uh, it was just this this festival of things before I'd even stepped out of the airport and and had a fantastic time. And that was only a few years ago. And it is tragic to see what what essentially is self-inflicted uh, by by leaders on the country and, and very much hope that that it improves quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Our prayers are definitely with Venezuela mm -hmm. now. So, Stefan, uh, tell us about um, uh, the Traveler Century Club because uh, um, a lot of people who might be listening and watching don't know that as well as the United Nations definition of a country. Uh, so, tell us about um, uh, how the Travel Century country operates. How do you join a country or territory, and how many of those have you personally visited? Uh, so it's a club based in the U.S. that uh, started a few decades ago, and it, it's one of several groups around the world that look at the globe and say, well, the U.N. is one basis to determine how many countries are in the world, and, and that's a legal basis and a mutual recognition basis. Uh, but then you start saying, you know, all these territories, where do they belong? You know, where where does French Guiana fit in? Technically, you're in mainland France, but you're sitting in South America and it looks nothing like it. And, and there's so many examples around the world, just, just within France, within colonial ties, the Brits, and it, it goes on and on. You've got Taiwan, you've got Northern Ireland, and all of these places, wh whatever your particular political view is, is something that, that are absolutely of, of merit to visit. So um, Traveler Century Club has a list of 325 territories. Uh, they have an elaborate criteria, but I think what distinguishes them from a number of other groups like most traveled people and the best traveled that have even more extensive lists is, is they don't typically do a, a sub-territory within another territory. So if you think about the official UN countries, they only go one level down from that, but don't keep subdividing and subdividing because it can get quite quite excessive. And and I, I like their list. I've been to 293 of the 325, and, and there's not one that I did not think was distinct or or worth the time and effort. And, and quite a few have been ones that that I um, have probably never would have visited, maybe never even heard of, and become some of my favorites. Uh, my wife is originally from China, and. and uh, when we went to Prince Edward Island, Canada, which is separate on the Traveler Century Club list, she got off the plane and said, this is what I dreamed North America would be like. Uh, just a fabulous, beautiful place in Canada. Uh, it's where Anne of Green Gables stories are set. Uh, my wife loves seafood. It, it has the summer lobster dinners and the PEI mussels and that. So there's there's been discoveries like that, the Faroe Islands in Europe. And, and I could just go on and on of Fernando de Noronha of Brazil that these territories that some are difficult, some are expensive, uh, but have been among my most special trips. Uh, I went to Iwo Jima uh, for the uh, the big 70th uh, anniversary a few years ago, and, and there were over 40 veterans of the battle, and there's no other way other than through this commemoration to visit Iwo Jima uh, as a tourist, and, and spending that day um, seeing these veterans, um, seeing even the the uh, Secretary of the Navy and the Marine Commandant and the Japanese Defense Minister all in awe of these veterans and, and being a participant of that is, is only something that I really became aware of because I started researching you know, how do I get to Iwo Jima and that tied into my interest in, uh, in World War I and World War II and, and visiting a lot of those sites. 
So Stefan, uh, you have a really active Facebook group uh, where you help support uh, other people who want to achieve the goal that you are about to achieve in the next few months, potentially, uh, depending on the political situation we talked about. Uh, tell us about the Facebook group you run and uh, you know when did it start and how have you grown it and uh, tell us more about uh, what goes on within this awesome Facebook group you run. Uh, the group is called Every Passport Stamp and uh, you know, I've I was taken unaware by Facebook groups. I, I, I run a blog, as you mentioned, and I've, I've generally tried to not learn social media platforms until I see that they're not going to fail. So a lot of them I've just see come and go. And it, um, as somebody that, especially now, I, I left corporate life a year ago and focusing on, on uh, making a living for myself through, through means like the blog, that social media can seem like a huge distraction at times, and, and there's endless platforms to do it. But uh, clearly, I had seen that Facebook group suddenly started popping up in all my notifications on my phone without me even realizing I was part of them. And, and as I looked at them and saw that it really is a great tool and I think replacing a lot of the traditional forums and, and frequent flyer programs, we have Flyer Talk, uh, Reddit is popular for uh, travel hacking right now. You've got Thorn Tree from the Lonely Planet. Um, but I think a lot of those forums, the, the challenge that they're all having is how to get users engaged and active when there's so many websites. So getting them to register yet another forum, yet another website to log in, yet another set of notifications. Uh, to get in their inbox is just too much for most people right now, uh, myself included. Uh, so Facebook groups have been a very flexible, easy way uh, to connect with people, to share information. I, I founded the group uh, last fall, so about now, just over half a year ago, and it's it's grown tremendously. We we don't approve everyone. We want to make sure that they are real travelers, and, and Facebook now allows you to ask questions. Uh, of, of prospective members, and if they don't answer, we don't approve them. So we're not trying to be a, a giant everything group, but we are very good at finding interesting, um, um, I'd say ambitious travelers, whether it's, it's local stuff or trying to visit every country in the world, all around the world, and people that just we would have never met uh, any other way. And, and um, you know, I've, I've from people like one time, um, there's a group called The Best Traveled that uh, Harry Mitsidis is the founder and he was posting something in the group and he said he was in the Turkish lounge in Istanbul and I was sitting a few tables away from him and <laughs> I had never met the guy in person and, and suddenly we just walked over and said, are you? And and, uh, and, and so the you know something that that's real time like Facebook allows that. <laughs> those kind of moments where you suddenly realize yeah you're both you're both just a few tables away uh, you know buried in your laptop when you should be looking out at the world and uh, uh, so it's it, that that's what the group is and it's it, it's a very casual uh, group of sharing uh, travel information and and um, tips particularly around the more difficult to visit countries visa issues uh, today talking about uh, the various aspects of the Belarus visa on arrival, which opened up a very difficult country, uh, but it appears you know people want to say, can we take the train instead of the air? So, so to hash out these kind of things and get reports from people that we know and trust that what they're saying is legitimate, whereas um, something like a TripAdvisor, it's very hard to get a sense of are these people ones that we can actually believe that if they say there's no bus from here to there, is it actually true, or they just didn't know how to ask or look. 
Awesome. So besides your personal mission to visit every country and, you know, your Facebook group, you also run a popular travel blog, which I've mentioned and you mentioned, mm -hmm. called Rapid Travel Chai. I love the name because I'm actually Indian, uh, born in Canada. I love myself some chai tea and I love myself some rapid travel. So it seems to fit the bill. Uh, tell us about the cool name and also what you write about on the blog itself. Um, I may actually rebrand because I'm tired of having a tongue twister last name and a tongue twister blog name, but it, it did come from my days in China and, and there's a there's a tie-in with the tea and, and the chai and I later learned that in, in Hebrew it also means uh, chai means life. So uh, a, a lot of people think I'm focused on, on Jewish travel, which I, I, is, is not the primary focus, <laughs> but, but um, I'm very happy to embrace the ethos of that. <laughs> and um, uh, so I might I might pick something a, a little more simple and, and easy for people to spell. But it it really started out as as they uh, as said with so many people that that feel like they don't have the time or ability to travel and you know ways and in particular tapping into the travel hacking that they can actually find ways to travel and they can have travels that that are cheaper and and much more cool in their eyes than than something that that they had even uh, thought of before and and so it's really to share and open up the possibilities to people and show a bit of what I do and, and what works and what doesn't uh, and um, uh, you know get get people seeing places that that they've never thought of like I said the traveler century club list and then how to actually do it and, and make it fit into their travels Awesome. So, uh, Stefan, you've mentioned uh, the fact that you left your corporate job and now you've mm -hmm. gone rogue, mm -hmm. gone solo, uh, become a digital nomad, so to speak. Uh, tell us about, uh, you know, some of the stuff you're working on and some of your current income streams. Yeah, so it definitely is a work in progress and I, I had never thought I would, I would take this road. I, I thought I would be corporate uh, for life. And, and what I really found was that I had Monday to Friday corporate. I had Friday night to Monday morning travel, and it, it just wasn't fair to my wife. Uh, so I really needed to make the travel my work. And then if I could become location independent, we wouldn't have this stream where with both of us in corporate lives, I, I mentioned before, I commuted from New York to Atlanta for about three years. Before that, while my wife was studying in New York, I commuted from Beijing to New York. So it was four weeks Beijing, one week New York for over two years. And that, that really takes a toll uh, both on yourself and on relationships. So, so the idea has been to turn my Friday night to, to Monday morning hobby into my Monday to Friday work time and then always be home on the weekends almost every time uh, to spend time with my wife and, and focus on the relationship. Um, uh, the areas I, I do, I work on, uh, the blog has a, a modest income stream that's regular and that helps. Uh, I speak at uh, corporate events and various conferences. Some of the public conferences, for instance, include Frequent Traveler University. Our, we just had a big event in Minneapolis, and then in November, uh, we'll have an event in uh, uh, Chicago. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun and bring in a lot of big names, uh, both from the travel hacking world as well as more general travel, like Rudy Maxa, Chris Gillibo, Nomadic Matt, uh, plus, as I said, a lot of the experts, uh, Frequent Miler, and, and others uh, one mile at a time that, that are big into travel hacking and, and have a big, this will be our biggest event in, in five years uh, and bringing in a lot of people new to travel hacking to show uh, how they can use the tools for their own travels. So I do that and then 
that that leads to different corporates and private event speaking. Uh, I do various uh, consulting projects uh, within the travel space, uh, and then uh, I'll do in, in the off hours some freelance writing and projects that that are a nice uh, nice cash steady boost uh, when when some of the other uh, booking engagements are, are are less frequent. So I'm I'm not pretending it's it's fully income replacement in the first year, uh, but I'm paying the bills uh, certainly and and developing a lot of uh, network and opportunities that when I was so focused on corporate life, I, I didn't have the chance to develop and explore things like this Facebook group, which I've not monetized. Uh, you know, there, there may be some avenues to it. There may be not. It's, it's always a tricky thing uh, that depends can sort of tolerate uh, monetization to a degree, but they also naturally think everything on the internet should be free. So it's a tricky balance in a lot of these areas uh, to retain credibility but also earn a living and, and to communicate that. So that's a lot what I've explored. I mean, you know, say outside of the travel hacking blog world, the general uh, blog world, uh, there's a lot of sponsored trips and I, I don't take sponsored trips. I, I do not plan to. Uh, that's not my thing. And, and um, you know, others have made great livings out of it, but it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be appropriate for my audience. I think I think the sponsored trip report is, you know, I'd say for travel blog readers, there's kind of two broad audiences and one are people that want to be entertained and, and whether just because they don't want to or they don't have the means, the, the finances, the personal situation to travel, they're just looking for a good story. They want to see the inside of a five-star hotel and a sponsored trip is not going to change the, the, what, what the five-star hotel looks like. Um, so I think for that audience, uh, that approach can can be very good and and uh, authentic and, and not really compromised. I think for for people focused on independent travel like myself, um, you know, the a sponsored trip is something that whether the information is quality or not, or to to what degree it's it's um, you know authentic. I, objective is not really a, a correct word to use, but whether it's authentic or not doesn't really matter to me because it's not something I can replicate. Because when I go to a place. I'm not going to have the luxury of a, a tourism bureau showing up and showing me around. So I, in terms of that, what I'm reading as a travel practitioner is for people that are doing something that I can learn from and replicate. And, and so my own readings are generally from people who don't take sponsor trips. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I know it's a big dilemma, uh, sorry, not dilemma, debate within the travel blogging industry of how authentic can you be if you're getting stuff for free? And uh, that's definitely a challenge because uh, you're kind of obligated to write positive stuff when you are getting complimentary things. So yeah, uh, and I mean, we could obviously discuss that. Yeah. The and and of course, where I go, it's not really an issue because there's nobody in Sao Tome or you know Equatorial Guinea handing out <laughs> money for bloggers. But, exactly. but you know, it's, it, it, the, the one time I know I may I may fully uh, break my rule is I mentioned that uh, that outer Seychelles. Yes. <laughs> when, when the new resort opens, uh, there's only one way to get there other than swimming for a few days in shark-infested waters. So I, I may have to see if they can get me a seat on their plane. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So, Stefan, uh, you know, you're very close to uh, hitting the 193. You're pretty close to maybe hitting the TCC uh, in the next few years. What are other, some of your other uh, big bucket list items that you want to do? What's your vision going forward for your travels, for your business, and for your life? 
Well, if if I had children, I'd probably reset the clock and start at zero. And a lot of people do that. That 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 may not be in the cards, but but I certainly will revisit places and and see some more in depth. I mentioned like the Atacama Desert in Chile and and Patagonia as as well, and two within that country that that I've not yet yet explored. Um, there's a few on the TCC list that beyond being on, on another list are particularly interesting to me for my interest in World War II history. So I've been trying to get to Midway. I've been trying to get to Wake. Uh, many of those have come and gone or been canceled, different things. Uh, there's volunteer opportunities. If you want to go count birds in Midway for three weeks over Christmas and New Year's, you can apply to volunteer. And and I've never been able to convince my wife that that I'm going to spend the, the holidays away <laughs> counting birds, uh, uh, given all the other stuff I do. So so there are some personal travel goals, and I'll start revisiting places with friends and family that that they have an interest in, and, and more broadly, career-wise, is to do much more now that I have time to focus on this. To do much more teaching at conferences, at events, put much more time into the blog to to teach people how to go to these places and share that. You know, I feel like a lot of what I've been doing has been very selfish in a way of just disappearing, and and I've got thousands of pictures that aren't online, and 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 all these tips and things that that I still haven't managed to get online because I've been traveling a ton and finding a way to share that that passion and and in a way that that inspires people, whether it's taking a weekend trip out of town or to uh, um, you know, the, the, the unimaginable corners of the world to them is, is what I wanna do a lot more of. And that's, that's why I'm shaping uh, my efforts in, in blogging, in speaking, uh, in the Facebook group, all these different channels of just getting the word out about, about all the travel opportunities that, that are out there now and, and things that, that uh, people aren't even aware of. I mean, right now there's uh, I'd say the latest thing that that's becoming even more popular than frequent flyer programs and travel hacking are these um, fair deal sites, and, and a lot are North America based, but others are Europe based and some other markets. The flight deal, thrifty traveler that you don't need to learn miles, you don't need to do any of that work. You just sign up for an email, and it says you know four hundred dollars Chicago to Saigon, and you just book it and go. And four hundred dollars for a lot of people is an expense that they can afford a few times a year. And they might have thought $400 only gets them to Las Vegas, but in that case, it gets them to Saigon. Uh, you know, you're, you're based in Canada, you said, and Vancouver and, and uh, Montreal are both great for tremendous fair deals that, that these sites post that take advantage of some of the currency differences and, and some of the pricing. And, and for a budget that you thought could only get you, you know, a couple hundred miles, you're around the world and, and maybe having your first great international experience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I highly recommend people check out those sites. So, Stefan, uh, to end it off with, uh, you have the blog, the Facebook group. Uh, uh, please let, let us know about those so we can connect with you. I'm sure a lot of people have been inspired by this interview and they might want to ask you more questions or uh, get more tips from you. So tell us the ways by which people can connect with you. Yeah, so the blog is called Rapid Travel Chai, and that's spelled C-H-A-I. Uh, and uh, the Facebook group is called Every Passport Stamp. Uh, all the social media accounts like like Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter are all Rapid Travel Chai. Uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely check it out. Uh, some of the conferences I'll be speaking at, uh, as I said, uh, Frequent Traveler University is the website, the letters ftuniversity.com. Uh, that next event is, is in Chicago in November uh, with more to come next year. 
Uh, and uh, any of those, any of those avenues, I, I try to always respond and, and always help out uh, fellow travelers. Yeah, and as do I, and that's why we're doing these podcasts to actually inspire people to travel more. Whether it's thank as you a, for doing that. Yeah. Whether it's as a, the one ninety three hours, or whether it's just crossing over to the next state to the next country. Mm hmm. You're doing great work. Thank you. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, so uh, once again, uh, make sure you check out Stefan's website. I will have the link below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're on uh, audio on iTunes, uh, I'll have the link on iTunes. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. <laughs>